So Money Episode 1261, Joyce Martyr, author of The Financial Mindset Fix, a mental fitness program for an abundant life. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. An an abundance mindset is the belief that there's more than enough resources for all of us, that we don't need to be afraid or competitive, but we can be collaborative. And to me, an abundant life is not only about financial prosperity, but it's about welcoming love and health and true support into your life and living a full and vibrant life that includes mental well-being, supported loving relationships, work-life balance, and financial health. Welcome to So Money, everybody. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. We're focusing on the term abundance on the show today. What does that mean to you? What does it mean to see life through this lens of abundance? How do we apply this to our financial lives? Our guest, Joyce Martyr, is a celebrated psychotherapist. She's an entrepreneur, founder of Urban Balance. She's a national speaker, writer, and her latest contribution to the space is a book called The Financial Mindset Fix, a mental fitness program for an abundant life. And in the book and in our conversation, she'll share a 360-degree holistic view of success with practical tools and guidance to help us amplify our sense of self-worth, our self-esteem, all to create financial abundance in our lives. This may be difficult right now, given the state of the world. It's hard to be optimistic, to feel like you can look ahead and be optimistic about your life your financial life, especially if you are somebody who faces things like sexism, racism, day in and day out. How do you then go on to have a positive sense of self-worth and self-esteem? Joyce has advice and she speaks from her own life experience as well, someone who struggled with her financial identity, her relationship with money, and how she used her own advice to arrive at a place of abundance. Here's Joyce Martyr. Joyce Smarter, welcome to So Money. Congrats on your book, The Financial Mindset Fix. Excited to dive in. Thank you so much for having me. You have been a psychotherapist, I understand, for the better part of two and a half decades. And so this really gives you a front row seat to observing this correlation that you've identified between mental health and financial well-being. We talk about this on the show often, but I really want to hear your perspective and your take. Describe what you mean by this correlation. What is our connectivity, mental health and financial well-being? They are so interconnected. And through my practice, I have had the blessing of working with a diverse array of clients, all different ages and you know cultural backgrounds, ethnicities, socioeconomic statuses. And across all of these individuals, I started to notice something really fascinating, that as people started to make progress in therapy, they started to earn more money. 
And I was like, why in the world is this happening? Because we're talking about their presenting issues like depression or anxiety or substance abuse or relationship issues. And I realized it's because in therapy, we're always working on their underlying self-worth. I love mirroring back to my clients all that is beautiful and amazing and special about them and empowering them to live a greater life. And as they made progress in this area, they started putting themselves out in the world differently with more confidence, more assertiveness, starting to negotiate and expand their comfort zones. And that led to financial return. Yeah, it's an ROI of therapy. We don't often see marketed, but should be. You know, People are wondering if the investment's worth it. You might come out on the other side of it wealthier. Absolutely. And there are other connections with mental health. Obviously, if our mental health is suffering, that's going to impact our relationship with money. It's going to impact our work, which impacts our financial reality. And so we want to take care of our mental health, just like we take care of our physical health. And Mm -hmm. I am a huge mental health advocate. I, I believe we all deal with mental health issues as part of the human condition. No shame, no stigma. And also, if we have financial problems, that can trigger mental health issues, such Mm -hmm. as anxiety, depression, even suicidal ideation. So it becomes this vicious cycle in some ways. Absolutely. It's all interconnected. Could you share with some of the standout light bulb moments that clients had, uh, as you described, a lot of them come to you and they're lacking self-worth and then you know, they obviously go through the steps with you, which are in this book. What does it feel like to sort of recognize that you have these mental blocks? And then what, I guess that's why we read the book to find out how to overcome it. But what are some of the realizations that your clients were having around their relationship with money? So many different things. But I think one of them that is really powerful is According to cognitive behavioral therapy, which is one of the most empirically supported forms of therapy, our thoughts precede our emotions and our behaviors. So as I listen to my clients, I listen for self-limitation and self-limiting beliefs. So when clients say, I could never do that, or, oh, that won't happen for me, or they're making them their lives small. So for example, if somebody tells me they're going for a promotion And I'll ask, do you think you're going to get it? And they'll say, oh, gosh, you know, probably not. There's a lot of competition. Then I'll say, you know what? Oh, gosh, I'm so sorry. Then you probably won't. (laughs) And they're like, oh, no, because I usually like being a warm, fuzzy, supportive kind of therapist. But it's true. If we don't believe in ourselves, who the heck else is going to believe in us? So I think those light bulb moments happen when I I point out those belief systems that are self-limiting. And we all have belief systems about money, perhaps from our families of origin or our cultures or religious beliefs, and that can shape our financial reality. If we we were raised to believe that money is bad or that uh, money is the root of all evil, we might be unconsciously pushing it away. And I believe when we have more, we can compassionately help more. Mm-hmm. By being giving to charities, philanthropy, employing people, providing internships and and lifting others up. Yeah. 
But Joyce, what do you say to the client who comes to you with real concerns, not just stories in her head, but real things that she's experienced in life, like an abusive partner who was also financially abusive or a boss who refused to promote her? Um, And there might be underlying issues of like sexism, racism, all of that, right? Those are serious headwinds and realities of life, unfortunately. And uh, what do you say to that person to sort of overcome that or get over it or feel more, have more self-worth in a world that may not be valuing them in the way that they should. Yes. It's, and unfortunately, that is a very common story. And so many people deal with trauma as a result of, of sexism, racism, discrimination, and there's financial trauma that goes along with that kind of marginalization. In my book, I share a powerful story of a, a sacred client relationship with my client, Suma. I named her in the book, and she is um, a Muslim American who was an abusive relationship and was dealing with massive trauma. And in our therapy, so much of it was honoring her emotional experience. And that was something that she had really tucked aside. She had swallowed so much hurt and and sadness and put on a brave face for the world. And she wasn't even able to identify what she felt because she'd shoved those feelings so deeply. And so through our empathic connection, I was able to share with her that I imagined she must have been deeply hurt and angry. And then the tears started to fall and we started to melt through some of the defenses that were helping her stay strong and survive, but to, to really develop self-compassion and self-love and to begin to heal and value herself. And that really shifted how she communicated in her partnership and her relationships. And she ended up making the very brave and difficult decision to get divorced in her culture, which is especially hard. And it not only changed her relationships and her improved her mental health, but she ended up furthering her education and starting her own business. And uh, I'm happy to say I'm still in contact with her and she's thriving and prospering. So that's one of probably hundreds of examples of people who've overcome trauma. And it's it's hard work. It's, you know, it's, it's difficult. Um, in fact, I just saw her recently and she said, you know, I was in therapy for years, um, but she has a, a beautiful life now. <laughs> and that gives me such joy. That's why I do the work that I do. It's deeply meaningful and rewarding to me. I really appreciate what you said about self-love, self-compassion. It's hard to value yourself. Our sense of self-worth often tied to things that are silly, like net worth, you know, that's a story that I feel like needs to get rewritten. We And it's still very much prevalent in our world where we've, we sort of honor and glamorize the wealthy and the rich. And sometimes we demonize them, uh, mm-hmm. you know, but, but for the most part, it's like, if you become rich, then you're all set, you've accomplished, you've arrived. And yeah. I think that's an um that's a lazy story to, to prescribe I, to. I absolutely agree. And our worth is internal. Our worth, you know, our 
our egos are our mind's understanding of ourselves and our financial life and our titles and our possessions. That's all tied with ego. And our essence is like our deeper self, our soul or our spirit. And that is where our real worth lies. Mm. And money can come and go, but our worth is innate and we are always deserving. And Susie Orman, who you know, is a financial expert, said she noticed a powerful connection between self-worth and net worth. She said self-worth leads to net worth, but net Mm. worth does not lead to self-worth. She said, you know, we all know people with a lot of money who are miserable and not happy individuals. But when we do value ourselves, we put ourselves out in the world differently and and I don't believe that's selfish. I believe as we grow and put our unique talents out in the world, we can help others and we can lift others up. And that's my intention with my work. And you experienced your work firsthand. You, uh, as I know, I was reading you uh, as an entrepreneur, Joyce, you used mental strategies to improve your own psychology of money. It inspired the book. It changed your life. How did you even first identify that your psychology of money needed attention? And then what steps did you personally take to strengthen that relationship? Thank you so much for asking. So I founded a outpatient mental health company based in Chicago called Urban Balance, and it grew very quickly and it made a thousand mistakes. And years later, I found myself in cash flow hell with major financial anxiety. I don't know if you know this, that most therapists specialize in our own issues. (laughs) So I have had tremendous financial anxiety and really thought that I was going to have to file business bankruptcy. It was a very difficult time in my life. I even lost my business partner, who was one of my best friends. And like any good therapist, I went and made an appointment with my therapist. And she asked me, she said, Joyce, when I say the word money, what does that mean to you? And I said, I think of stress. And she said, well, no wonder you make it go away. So I started to explore how my thoughts and emotions and relationship with money were shaping my financial reality. And I started accessing more support. I realized that shame and fear were keeping me from asking for business and financial advice. And once I got over that, which was really humbling and scary, my financial advisors pointed out They said, Joyce, you're not running a charity to employ therapists. You deserve to make a profit. And I realized that part of my own kind of codependency, sort of helping others before helping myself was detrimental to my financial life and to my business. And I needed to reframe how I thought about money and to think of it as a resource and one of which I was deserving to support myself and my loved ones and the world around me. And that's when my financial life changed. I started realizing I was setting limits with small thinking. So I started practicing abundant thinking, which I teach people how to do in the book. It's chapter one, in fact, which is a great transition because I wanted to talk about that. You know, we 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 throw around this word abundance a lot, and I I like the word. I think it's a great way to sort of characterize our financial ambitions, um, the way the lens through which we see the world that it is abundant as opposed to a, a place of scarcity. This is something that I think a lot of people have had to rewrite for themselves as they've uh, grown up to be able to embrace money. How do you want 
readers to think about abundance, particularly in a world where there is a lot of scarcity for many people and lack. The world is not fair by any stretch. And and so what's the switch that needs to happen sometimes to feel like, yeah, I can, I am deserving. I, the world has more than enough for everyone and I can participate in that. You're absolutely right that life is not fair in her dealings, that we're all dealt a different hand of hardships and blessings. And for those that have been dealt a harder hand, the, the path is more difficult than people with privilege. And I, it's especially important for people who have had that experience to empower themselves with programs like my book. And I think that 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 scarcity mindset is something that is so prevalent, especially now with the pandemic. There's so much fear and anxiety about the uncertainty of the future. And think about the toilet paper incident. That is a great example of scarcity where people become fearful and competitive over resources. And a, an abundance mindset is the belief that there's more than enough resources for all of us, that we don't need to be afraid or competitive, but we can be collaborative And to me, an abundant life is not only about financial prosperity, but it's about welcoming love and health and true support into your life and living a full and vibrant life that includes mental well-being, supported loving relationships, work-life balance, and financial health. Mm. In that chapter, the title has a subtitle, Discover Your Self-Worth and See That We're All Beggars Sitting on a Golden Bench. Can you share where that came from, that expression? I really believe that, that we all have inner resources and gifts within us. We all have these unique talents and blessings and skills that if we align them with a need in the world, we can welcome greater prosperity. So in my clients, I've seen whether it's their their humor, their their intellect, their emotional intelligence. They maybe they have a book that they've written or art that they've created or a business idea that they've never put out in the world because of fear or or negativity or self-limitation. And if they did that, they could have a huge financial return. So I think sometimes we don't realize what we have and we don't sort of manifest it or or make it come into fruition so that we can have that return. And so I do think, and and for me, I love being a therapist because I believe that suffering brings great blessings and people who've gone through trauma or difficulty reap deep wisdom. Hmm. Their life experiences carve wisdom into their being and consciousness that makes them have even more gifts to share with the world. And so that's why I love what I do, because it's through that that we learn and grow and thrive. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Speaking of trauma, I mean, the pandemic is still ongoing. It's where I don't even know how I I describe it as a pandemic emerging world that we're in. We're we're like getting closer to the, the, the light at the end of the tunnel. And so in this 
time, this chapter in a lot of our lives. It's when we're, for some of us, you know, we're harboring a lot of pain, a lot of fear, a lot of anxiety tied directly to the experiences of the last 20 or so months. So how do your clients, how are you advising clients to harness all of that, to be able to think more rationally, to to excavate that, maybe that buried wisdom that they did, that they did attract or they did gain in the pandemic. You know, there were a lot of learnings, but it's also, it could be, it could be asleep right now, all those learnings. Like you have to sort of turn them on and recognize what you have learned. And so how do you do that? Well, thank you for sharing that. I think that's very wise and for asking that question. I've been giving global corporate trainings over the past 18 months with with employers around the world. And people are really suffering. We're living through a global trauma that's wreaking havoc on our mental health. We were already in a world mental health epidemic and people are really hurting. This has exacerbated anxiety, depression, relationship conflict, even suicidal ideation. And so for people who are suffering to realize that you're not alone, that this has been extraordinarily difficult for for each and every one of us in different ways, and to really honor your own unique emotional experience and reflect on what this has been like for you and thank yourself for getting yourself through it. And I I tell people to really be gentle with themselves and prioritize their self-care and access more support. One of the things that universally I'm hearing is people are needing more emotional support. So Mm -hmm. of course, I'm a big believer in therapy. And I believe that Having practices like mindfulness practices, like meditation or journaling or deep breathing, anything that's going to help you connect with your deeper self and reflect on your values, because I think our lives have been turned upside down. And for many, I think we're realizing that we want to work differently. We want to work in a way that's more meaningful, that creates more work-life balance, that allows us to connect with our loved ones. And so we're seeing the great resignation. People are leaving their jobs and and changing the way that they work. So I think using this as a time for self-reflection and creating a new vision for your life. I have a chapter Mm -hmm. on vision and I believe in you know, thinking about what you'd like your life to look like if you had a magic wand. And this is a time for recreation. It's important, like you said, to reflect on the things that you accomplished we forget, we focus on sort of the the negative sometimes, but I actually did this. I wrote down in 2020, what were some of the things that I, despite the mayhem was really, uh, I managed to succeed at some things and I learned to cook more. I spent more time with my family. I moved, I, you know, began a book, all of these things that uh, maybe I don't credit myself enough for that they seem maybe like I was just living my life, but <laughs> actually in the context of a global pandemic might've been a little harder and yet I still did it. And also what were some of the unexpected, uh, I don't know what you call them, like sort of the, the, the unexpected benefits of being at home and quarantining, you know, that you get to see your children grow up you know, every single day as opposed to sending them off to school. I'm okay with school now, uh, but <laughs> it, you know, there were there were happy moments in that, and and so I think it's important to to recognize that because also I was talking to an intuitive an intuit on our show, and she says that it's really important in order to practice intuition to really understand 
how you've done things in the past and what led you to things in the past. Because intuition is not like a sixth sense. It's actually your muscle memory attracting towards experiences and ideas and moves that you have done well in the past, that it's sort of like a repeat. But it's good to have that consciousness to sort of know like what to do next, because you have context of how you did it maybe in the past in some other way, shape or form. Does that does that resonate with you? Does that does that like show up in your practice? Oh, my goodness, Farnoosh, I love everything that you said. That's amazing. And yes, absolutely. That is aligned with how I think. And First of all, your list, you were practicing gratitude and you were looking for the hidden blessings in heart during hardship. And that is a practice that facilitates positivity and psychological and relational resilience. So that's amazing. And it also helps clarify your, your inner compass, your, your checking in with yourself and, and letting yourself be your guide and tapping into that deeper wisdom. And that's where intuition lies. So in my book, I talk about awareness, which is chapter two. And that is speaks to what you just said, that we all kind of unconsciously recreate what's familiar until we become aware and we choose something better for ourselves. And in another chapter called Presence, I talk about cultivating intuition by practicing mindfulness and Mm -hmm. how when we really check in with ourselves on a deeper level, we tap into that inner wisdom that can help guide us both personally and professionally to create and cultivate that abundant life. You skipped a chapter, though. Before you get to presence, you talk about responsibility, which I love because I think it's a reminder that the buck stops with you. You need to be accountable for your life. I always say nobody cares more about your life, your financial life, your love, no one than you. (laughs) Why are you waiting for someone else to fix your problem? What do you what do you hope to get out in that chapter? That's I haven't read that chapter, but I just love the sort of tone of that because I'm, I'm I'm I like rules. I like order. I think of myself as a responsible person and I'm, I feel like that's a virtue. <laughs> it is. I love is that. It? <laughs> post that on your social media. Responsibility is a virtue. Yeah. I love that. Amazing. <laughs> I agree. I completely agree. A lot of authors in the abundance space kind of talk about the laws of attraction. And I think what is missing from that school of thought is responsibility, that we have to do the work. And something that I've noticed as a therapist, and I'm, I've am i done it myself, is that we all oftentimes blame others for our challenges and difficulty, whether it's our families of origin, our partners, our bosses, the government, the economy, and that keeps us stuck. And we can't change what's out of our control, but we can change our own thoughts, emotions, and behaviors. So as a therapist, I have a lot of people sitting on my couch talking about other people. And I've done it myself. The first time I was in therapy, I talked about my mother all the time. And the second time I was in therapy, I talked about my former husband. And it wasn't until I started really looking at myself and my own issues that my life began to change. And so we we need to let go of blame and practice some forgiveness to free ourselves and empower ourselves to take responsibility for our path. 
in narrative therapy, they say that we're not only the protagonist of our own life story, but we're also the author. So we can choose a different ending for ourselves. We can we can write a better chapter for mm-hmm. our next phase of life. And I love empowering people to do that. You have a great quote from Seth Godin, who's been on the show, one of the most popular guests of So Money, unsurprisingly. And he says that money is a story, which we've talked about, one that is too often used against us. When you're ready to engage with intention, this book can help you rewrite your story. It's quite the endorsement. I was really honored to have him endorse the book. And yes, that is a powerful quote from him. And it's it's true that we are, our money is a story and our lives are a story. And we can ha- take ownership of that. And, you know, like I said earlier, we've all been dealt a different hand of hardships and blessings, but we can choose how to play our hand and how to empower ourselves to live a greater life. Joy Smarter, thank you so much. Your book, again, is called The Financial Mindset Fix, A Mental Fitness Program for an Abundant Life. Thank you so much. Thanks again to Joyce for joining us. If you'd like to pick up her new book, it's called The Financial Mindset Fix, a mental fitness program for an abundant life. It is available everywhere. You can learn more about Joyce at her website, joyce-martyr.com. Coming up on Wednesday, a conversation about wallet activism with the author of the new book, Wallet Activism, Tanya Hester. She'll share advice on how to spend, save, invest, and even earn in a way that is more aligned with your values. In the meantime, I hope your day is so money. Money.